from Birmingham, Alabama. You're listening to the Flat Picking Pilgrim's Progress. I'm your host, Gary Furr, and I'm so glad to have you with me today. Whether you're sitting in your favorite chair or riding along in the car, I'm glad we're going to get to spend this time together. Hey, it's good to have you here today. Hope you're doing well. I want to thank everyone for your great responses to these first podcasts. And thank you for your support and help. I want to do some uh, storytelling and some reflecting on work. And though I was a pastor for 41 years, uh, before that I was in school until I was 31 got married in college, so I was supporting uh, three children by the time I got to the end of graduate school, and so I worked all the time I went to school, and work is a is a beautiful thing. It's it's important. It's it's such an important part of life, whether you work at home or work out, Um, but it's a, a strange thing today. There are lots of issues always, but work itself is a good thing, and people need work. They need to work. They need to have things to do that mean something. First real job I ever got on my own was bridge construction, although I did some other things before that. But I always got those jobs through other people. That was the first job where I went down uh, to Interstate 40 near Jefferson City, Tennessee while I was in college. They were building bridges there. It was the McKinnon Bridge Company. I don't think they're in business now. But uh, Vicki and I had got married during our sophomore year. And uh, that next summer... I had to go to work because we found out after a few months that she had, was expecting our first daughter. So Vicki got a job at the Magnavox plant, and this was summer of 1974. And they were they were completing stretch of Interstate 40. Those bridges are still there. They probably need to be replaced by now. But I worked on the bridges uh, full and part-time until 1976 because the pay was so good, and they let me work part-time during school and come back and work full-time in the summers and it breaks. Uh, when I got on as an apprentice carpenter, I got paid four seventy-five an hour. That was unheard of back then. Had a lot of adventures, and I sure worked with some interesting people. I worked with a moonshiner named Elmer, a crane operator who had done time for murder, a Ph.D. in history that couldn't find a teaching job, went to work with his brother as a rod buster, and so uh, it, it was an interesting job. First thing they did was tell me to get a hammer and go down and pull about 20,000 nails out of boards because back then you you built plywood forms and poured the entire bridge in one day and then they would wreck those forms off and could uh, reuse them so I spent the first probably week of work doing nothing but pulling nails out of boards. My dad had been a carpenter and a very good one and so I, I got a hammer from him and bought a toolbox from Sears because craftsman tools were what everybody wanted to own and a leather tool belt that would hold your measuring tape in the front put your hammer over on the side and a lumber crayon and a flat pencil next to it and two pouches for nails and in the mornings I'd get up and smell bacon Vicky would get up and cook breakfast around five in the morning and I'd head out to the bridge site not far from college our first baby girl was on the way and I needed that money my boss was a guy named Bill who went by the nickname of Dooley. Everybody out there had a nickname, and nobody used their real name most of the time. 
and I was with another couple of friends who were for the college. They just called us college boys, but Bill always wore dark green pants and shirt. Had to be hot to wear. His face was permanently red from sun, and I don't think he ever wore anything resembling sunscreen. Barked orders most of the time. Wore a yellow hard hat and chewed tobacco and dipped snuff at the same time. And whenever he came to somebody else that was chewing tobacco, he'd say, what are you chewing, buddy? And they'd hold it out and they'd take knives and cut off a slice for each other and put that in their cheek. It was it was pretty pretty disgusting. But he was, he was a good guy. He could be very kind telling you to do something. Mostly he was bellowing orders, had a short temper. I never actually remember him cussing because he was a Pentecostal Christian. Everybody else at this job did. Uh, the verbal interest in sex and women was endless, and the language was crude and nonstop. It was a good educational experience for a young preacher. Bill was really pious, even though he'd been excommunicated from his little church. Uh, he was divorced, but still he was very pious about his faith, and uh, learned a lot from Bill. Learned a lot from all these guys. First, he was divorced, and I wanted to know about that, and uh, I asked him one day why he'd gotten divorced. He said, well, I got excommunicated from my church, and he went to the Pentecostal Charismatic um, Holiness Church of Apostolic Jesus Christ twice removed or something like that. They were very fundamental in their views, and so he got kicked out when he got divorced. I said, well, why did you get divorced? And he said, I hired me this well digger to come and dig a new well at my house. And instead, he ran off with my wife. And he paused a moment, and he said, he didn't finish that well, neither. Later that day, he came up to me and said, you know, them well diggers, they ain't worth a darn. Another time, I, I was uh, working with a guy that had just got hired on, and he said he needed to drive to his house. He forgot to get a lunch that day. And so I loaned him my car, gave him my keys, and uh, he drove off and he didn't come back. He didn't come back. He didn't come back. And everybody started laughing and saying, son, your car is gone. And I was starting to get a little anxious. Bill walked over with a frown on his face. He said, son, you don't never loan your money, your car, or your wife to nobody. A few minutes later, that fellow drove up. The bypass hose had sprang a leak and he had to stop and fix it on the way back. Disaster averted. But I did remember those three things. Bill and all the crew out there were endlessly interested in religion. And since he knew I was a preacher, or going to be a preacher one day, we would talk about it all the time. And I think he felt very lonely as a person who uh, was open about his faith. And he pointed at James, who was our bulldozer operator. James was his best friend, and he could run anything on wheels. And he could grade a hill sideways on a bulldozer without turning it over. But Bill told me he was the best bulldozer operator he'd ever had but he said you know he's church of christ and i said oh what, it, what do you mean he said well they don't believe in the holy spirit you know what that means i said no sir what does that mean he said hell fire that's what and i didn't realize that doctrinal deviation was enough to burn a fine bulldozer operator to a crisp for eternity but i was getting a lesson in religion out there Bill would get mad at us, and he'd say, when we did something stupid or say something stupid, he'd frown and say, son, use your head for something besides a hat rack. One day, he brought a, an old man over to me. He was up in his 60s or uh, late 60s, probably, but he looked 90 years old. He said, now this here is Hangy Lim. Now, there's an interesting name for you. Anyway, he looked like he'd been run through the ringer three or four times, and Bill said, he's going to be your helper today. 
Now, I was an apprentice carpenter, so I'm 19 years old. Uh, Hangy Lim was assigned to help me, and it occurred to me that this old man had never moved beyond being a laborer. He either had a drinking problem or no ambition. So anyway, we worked along for a while. I didn't say very much. I didn't talk a lot. He tried to strike up a conversation. He said, just out of the blue, he says, you know, I wish it's back in the times of the Garden of Eden. Now, this was interesting. And I said, why is that, Hangy Lim? He said, because be running around without any clothes on. And conversation went from there. And I, I'll, I'll leave it up to your imagination. I said, he got silent for a while. And then he said, by golly, you know what we did last weekend? I said, no, Hangy Lim, what what'd you do? I did like saying his name. We went over this guy's house and snuck into his garage and broke in the trunk of his car and stole two six-packs of beer, got drunk as we could be. Quiet again. Now, there was a bivocational preacher there that was crane operator, and he said very little and always looked real stern and severe. Everybody called him preacher. So Bill was walking past us about that time. He hollered out, hey, tell the preacher to walk that crane back over here to the side and lift up these forms. Hanging limb said, oh, my gosh, we got a preacher out here? And Bill looked at him and said, Son, you've been working with one all morning. He walked off. Now, preachers live for these kinds of moments. He got real quiet. And we worked for a pretty good while. Then he turned to me and he said, You know, I take my family to church every Sunday. I said, I'm sure you do, Hangy Lamb. There was this kid named Scotty out there. And back then you had... Uh, sort of the hippie movement. He was a self-described hippie, long hair, drugs every minute. He wasn't at work. And he was always telling Bill he was wrong about something. And one day, Bill and Scotty were working together on something. And Scotty was swinging a sledgehammer. And it slipped off a glancing blow and hit Bill smack in the hard hat and knocked him cold for a few minutes. And Scotty thought he'd killed him. But finally, Bill opened his eyes. He said, you got to be careful with that thing, son. You could kill somebody. Use your head for something besides a hat rack. But Bill loved talking to me and the other two college fellows there. He'd always say, what do you college boys think about this? And he'd talk about things. He thought we might have some kind of wisdom because we went to school. And one day he came over and he said, fellas, I got a problem. Somebody's been eating all the food out of my truck. Bill's truck looked like a Salvation Army store. Everything in the world on the seats, the floor, empty snuff tins, wrappers, blueprints, pencils, couple rolls of toilet paper stuff was all over the dash and, and all in the floor i suspected bill kind of lived in that truck since his divorce but anyway he would put some food in there to eat every day at lunchtime and he said somebody kept getting in there and stealing it during the day he said what do you what do you college boys think we ought to do i said well let's watch and see we'll figure out what's going on so we were watching and sure enough we saw another old guy another old laborer kind of about like hanging limbs age except his nickname was Pappy-in-law. So we saw him sneaking in there, grabbing whatever Bill had and eating it. So we offered Bill a suggestion. We said, we're going to buy some Nutter Butter peanut butter cookies and some X-Lax, and we'll lace those cookies with X-Lax and put them back in the truck, and and we'll teach him a lesson. Of course, X-Lax, being a laxative, is uh, treacherous, and, and, you know, children don't do this at home. We we put the whole contents of the X-Lax on all of those cookies, the next day, we planted the trap, and uh, Lloyd and Bill and I were watching from behind a stack of wooden forms, just like little children. Sure enough, Pappy-in-law came along, looked left and right like some cartoon villain, and slipped into the truck, grabbed a handful of cookies, and ate them. 
Every few minutes, he'd come back in, look both ways, get back in, and eventually he ate the entire contents of that uh, package of cookies. A little while later, Pappy and Law went into the gray port of John that we had there on the site, and he stayed there for the rest of that day, and he didn't come back the next day or the next. And I don't think he ever took anything from the truck after that, but I think medically that was probably not a really smart thing to do. Bill had one rule that he used to uh, say to us, and that was, if you tell me it can't be done, you're fired. So we didn't always know how to do it, but we never told him that we couldn't do it. Looking back, I'm very grateful. You know, church can be a very insular place. Any kind of uh, faith group can kind of get turned in on itself, and especially today with churches being so large and complicated that you forget the things that really are the essence of it. And you can sort of get so busy running the organization. And this is true in just out in the work world, uh, moving data around or sitting in a, a board of directors meeting 2,000 miles from the people that work for you and making decisions and uh, looking at things and working with your brain, but not necessarily connecting to the people. And, you know, it's easy to get disconnected. Of all the things that taught me uh, for my later work, I give that a lot of credit as being just as important. I mean, I worked with people that could have easily been the extras in deliverance. But it's good for preachers to be out there in the world. It taught me to understand people from a different world. And I had a lot of religious conversations with folks. Worked with two guys that had done time with, uh, for murder. And um, it, 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 you found that these were just human beings, just like the rest of us. Uh, they had all sorts of hurts and hungers and longings. And one of the things that worries me a wee bit in this day and time is how easy it is for the work that people do and the things they fill their days with to get disconnected and separated from connection with other human beings. It's great to be able to work from home, but the truth is eventually human beings need one another. I used to have uh, young seminarians come and interview me about what they needed to, to know to get ready for the ministry. And I used to say, learn everything you can about human beings, what makes them tick, uh, how to relate, understanding their lives, understanding yourself. All of us come out of trouble if we really look back and are honest about it. Uh, one of the great wise sayings I ever heard from a counselor friend was, children are uncanny perceivers, but they're lousy interpreters. And most of us get to adult life and we've suffered a little bit of damage here and there. And understanding that before you react to another human being can be pretty helpful. Now some people wear their mean on their sleeve and they don't let anybody get close enough to know anything about them. But there were enough times that I sat with folks like that and could get through that and really hear what was up underneath. And those are the great treasures of ministry. And I'll tell you something else. They're the treasures of life. You can get so busy doing what you're doing, and I've been guilty of this. Your teenager starts talking, and you know they only talk to you as a parent during certain phases of their life. Really open up and talk to you very rarely. But when they do, you need to put down what you're doing and listen. My wife is terrific at that. Just be all attention.
because they'll go back in that cocoon again. You won't hear from them for a couple of months. Be ready to listen. And sometimes when you're listening, just don't judge or react or respond. This social media world is so weird because people can react without having the accountability of sitting there. There's something different about looking face-to-face at somebody and listening to them. So I'm really grateful for the old bridge crew. That was a weird, weird place. I know I couldn't do it physically now, and I'd hate to be Hangy Limb or Pappy in Law and still be having to do that at what they got paid. But work is really, really important. And you know, you think about workplace shootings and, and all the stress and strain going on with it all these days. It almost feels as though our very humanity is being lost. If we're going to make it, we got to figure out how to keep that alive. Well, I hope you'll find something in that today that might be valuable to you and um, leave you with a song as we head out for today. See you next time. Well, if I was a sinner, I'd tell you what I'd do. I'd quit my sinning and I'd work on the building too. I'm working on a building, I'm working on a building, I'm working on a building for my Lord, for my Lord. It's a Holy Ghost building, it's a Holy Ghost building, it's a Holy Ghost building, it's a Holy Ghost building for my Lord, for my Lord. Well, if I was a gambler, I'd tell you what I'd do, I'd quit my Gambling and I'd work on the building too. I'm working on a building. I'm working on a building. I'm working on a building. I'm working on a building for my Lord, for my Lord. It's a Holy Ghost building. It's a Holy Ghost building. It's a Holy Ghost building. It's a Holy Ghost building for my Lord, for my Lord.
Gary Furr, and this is the Flat Picking Pilgrim's Progress. Thanks for joining me today. You can find my music at G-A-F-U-R-R, gafur.com, and you can go to my blog site for lots of other information and writings at garyfur.me, G-A-R-Y-F-U-R-R.me. Once again, thank you so much. Join me next time on the Flat Picking Pilgrim's Progress.